Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley from the Thread Bible Podcast. Have you ever wondered why there are so many genealogy sections in the Bible? Well, in this episode, we'll talk about that. And we'll talk about when all the nations of the earth got their start. So stay tuned. Welcome to Thread, God's Word tying together all the pieces of your life through verse-by-verse study of the Bible. In Season 4, we're exploring the bedrock of the entire Bible, Genesis 1-12. through Season 4 of the Thread Bible Podcast is brought to you by MediaLightOnline.com. Okay, we are moving now out of the flood narrative. Last episode was God establishing a covenant with Noah and his sons and with us. And through this, he's blessing the earth again. It's no longer a cursed earth. And he is blessing the humans to go out and be the leaders again. And then there's this huge section. A lot of people just skip over it because it's just, uh, you know, it's those begats. Like in Matthew's account, Luke's account, uh, you just see this line of names. And this one was the father of this one. And people just jump ahead of it. Um, none of, nothing in the Bible is just there for the sake of history. This is a theological telling of the story of God and man. And so, although you're going to see a lot of names, and we're we're actually not going to read through this whole section because it is tedious, there is a, there's a function for the genealogy sections. Uh, in the one hand, uh, the expression, as, I, as we've mentioned already, the expression, this is the generations of, these are the generations, or this is the generation of so-and-so, that is a, a formula called toldot, which is a, a way that the Genesis account begins a new section or closes off a chapter. So uh, right now, as I said, we're in Genesis 9, verse 18 through 10, 32, if you've got your Bible, and we're just going to begin there. We're going to begin now with the story of the birthing of 70 nations. That's where we're headed by the end of this, but that's, we're going to need a path to get there. Genesis 9, 18, and the three sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. We'll just remark off of that. That's the beginning of the Canaanite peoples and of their hostile relationship with the children of Abraham. But we're not going to stay there yet. Read the next verse, because it's the beginning of the larger story that is about to unfold, and it'll keep going till the end of the book. It's a story about scattering. Verse 19. These three were the sons of Noah, and from them the earth scattered. And I'm going to pick up that word in just a minute because one of the themes of Genesis is the experience of humans being scattered. By scattered, it means you're isolated, or it can even mean you are separated from your God and from others. And we see this story at the very beginning. It's exile from the garden. They were separated and isolated from the garden by their sin. And then you come to the story of Cain. And after he murders his brother and God is addressing him, 
His immediate fear is about scattering. You're going to make me isolated. I'm going to be separated from you and from other people. And it becomes the fear. And this fear is, it, it goes through the, the whole Old Testament, but it, it leads to the building of Babylon, which we're going to get to next time. It leads to the curse on the Canaanite peoples in chapter 10, verse 18. But this word scattered, it's, uh, it's the way it is in the original language, it's set up with two different rhyming words, and they're used in conjunction. Their meanings are something like scattered and dispersed. Now, if you're walking with Yahweh and he disperses you or he scatters your tribe, but you're walking in unison with him, well, that that dispersion, that scattering is an adventure. It's the adventure of establishing your own Garden of Eden and a place, an inheritance for your children, a place that's yours, your own homeland as a tribe to be dispersed into the land that Yahweh leads you into. And this is Abraham's experience. Everybody is so afraid of this scattering, but with Abraham, he goes, he, you know, when God speaks and says, come go with me, you know, I want to scatter you. I want to separate you. I want to disperse you from your kinfolk. I want to take you to a new land. The Bible simply says, Abraham obeyed and went. I mean, it was a different thing for him. However, if you're in rebellion against the Creator, then yes, it's a horrifying fate to be cut off from your homeland, to be cut off from your people, and to live in the darkness of those days, surrounded by enemies and predators, and you have no allies that you can depend upon for assistance. And so this whole theme of scattering and what it what it does to a human, you know, and it does have everything to do with whether you are walking in fellowship, you're living in covenant with the creator or whether you are in rebellion against the creator. And so this scattering theme uh, is really what we're headed for in the next few chapters. Well, um, as we're moving forward into this theme, there's this sort of an interrupting story. It's a short, embarrassing family episode, and it, it can feel like it's been, you know, a channel change. It's inserted suddenly in this, you had this high noble moment, you know, between God and man. They're leaving the ark. God is blessing them. Noah's making sacrifice to the Lord. <laughs> and then it says, and this, you know, the verses we just read said, and this is where the scattering begins. Okay, so the story we're about to read, it's not a it's not off track. It is part of the story of the scattering. It is an example of the scattering. It's in chapter nine, verse 20. It says, and Noah, a man of the ground, he's he's an Adam of the Adamah, the ground. And Noah, the man of the ground, became the first to plant a vineyard, and he drank of the wine, and he was drunk. Well, it's an odd, you know, it's a, you don't expect that out of Noah, but, you know, so far, sort of, so far, so normal. Then look at the next verse. 
and he uncovered himself in the middle of his tent. Okay, now that's worse. So now you've got drunken Noah, naked and passed out, basically in his family's living room. You could say it like that. Um, I remember being with Sherry in, uh, we got to go to Venice, and we went out of the big plaza, and we tried to go back into, you know, the older little town kind of area, and we got into this old church. It was smaller, but I noticed up on the, in the ceiling, you know, they always have these these paintings and frescoes. And so I'm looking, you know, and there are all these big moments in scripture. And then I noticed this one and it's the drunkenness of Noah and it's Noah and he's fallen over backwards over uh, something that was laying there and he's laying. And I just thought, you know, this church really had a good pastor at some point because he knew, you know, that uh, Italians are drinking people and he saw what alcohol did to so many families. And so as men are coming to church every week and, you know, they, their eyes roam and they start looking around at all of these painted lessons on the walls of the church. And so here's the one that whichever pastor commissioned that he wanted them to remember the drunkenness of Noah so that you could see what wine can do to you. But that's not why this story is in the Bible. It's not here as a warning about alcohol, uh, there are many warnings about the abuse of alcohol, and the use of alcohol uh, is also spoken of throughout Scripture. But that's not why this is here. This is a story of our Noah, who's come out of the ark, you know, great man of God, and so he's come out of the ark, the world is saved through him, he's a man that God acknowledges as the leader and we see Noah already in the very first chapter, uh, maybe, maybe the burden of his life as for the last hundred years of building the ark, maybe the, the death and destruction that went on all around him, maybe the responsibility of having to carry this. I don't know what led to this breakdown with him. It could have just been he's, he's not used to alcohol. Uh, you know, he's the the one who gives birth to uh, taking plants and letting them rot and pulling the alcohol off and seeing what we can make out of it. But here's Noah, and he's been conquered. And he's not been conquered by a beast. He's been conquered by a simple plant. So, dear friend, please don't be a slave to wheat or rye or potatoes or honey or grapes from which we make alcohol, all all of those, or to cannabis or coca leaf or opium poppy or even to coffee beans and to tea leaves. You're a human. We are the lords of this world. And I I wish the story just stopped there. It would just be sort of a funny moment in their family's life, but it, it doesn't. It grows darker. Noah has, as we're told, three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham, the middle son. Ham, the father of the Canaanite people. Ham sees the humiliation of his father, and he mocks and ridicules him. We can't tell by the words. Either he just stares at him and despises his father's weakness and then goes and spreads it around, you know, through his family to humiliate his father further, or uh, the words we see might be euphemistic. He might have sodomized his father. 
to amplify his humiliation. We don't know. Whatever the case, we know that he, quote, sees his father's nakedness, then he goes and brags about it to his brothers, just like the last Cain. Uh, you know, remember, Cain has a descendant named Lamech, and in Genesis 4, Lamech brags to his wives about murdering a young man who had simply bumped into him. So we're seeing now already, it's only, the, I mean, you're still in the first generation, and we're seeing a rebirth of the descendants of Cain, that, that spiritually dark seed, that here are three men, they all have the potential to have offspring, and here is the middle son, Ham, and already you can see that spirit of Cain in him, and he, he brags and he mocks his father, uh, he brags, you know, boasts himself up, and thinks he can pull his brothers into this, uh, you know, overthrowing of their father, ridiculing of their father, but his brothers are more decent than he is, and they go to rescue their father. And they want to rescue him from further humiliation. So they carry a blanket and they walk backwards into his tent to avoid even seeing him naked and having that image in their minds. And it makes me think of 1 Peter 4, 8. It says, love will cover a multitude of sins. It's a precious spirit that these two brothers have when they see their father. He's humiliated. He should not be weak in this way, but their focus is on strengthening him, not tearing him down. So this story is here because it's the beginning of the story of scattering and of the human race being scattering. And it's a reminder of the realities that are facing Yahweh and the human family as we try to live as his imagers on earth with other people among us who have very little commitment to improving their own character. They do not mean well to others. Ham, like Cain, was self-centered. He was boastful, and he intended to rise at the expense of even his father, who had done so much to protect all of them from the destruction that swept every other human to the bottom of the deep. So Noah wakes up humiliated, and he learns the extent of Ham's mockery, and he pronounces a curse on his son Ham and on all his descendants. May Ham and his line be the servants of my other sons. And so now we move into the scattering story because uh, what you're not going to see is his sons becoming the servant of his other uh, uh, Ham's sons becoming the servants of the other sons. You're going to see a conflict beginning. You're going to see uh, a rivalry uh, let's start with chapter 10, verse 1. And these, you know, this is that formula I told you about. It starts a new section. And these are the generations of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And to them were born sons after the flood. And right away, we're going to see, as we saw before, between uh, Seth and Cain, you're going to see now another study in contrast between godly Shem and the second wave of Cain, the Canaanites, uh, you know, because Cain's line led to the disaster of his spiritual line, led to the disaster of Genesis 6. And now in Ham's family rises up another line of Cain, and they're even called the Canaanites. 
And again, they're aggressive and they're ambitious. They're um, empire builders and they're exceptional in terms of their human achievement. But there's a spirit in them. And from Ham's line, from Canaan's line, it's the other, it's his son's name, but it becomes the name by which this line is called. From Canaan's line come all the oppressors of Israel. Egypt, those nations that will seek to enslave them and diminish them. You know, there are a number of nations mentioned there. They don't all do that, but the core ones are there. The Philistines, you know, Egypt, the Philistines, the Jebusites, the Amorites, Sodom and Gomorrah, their spiritual influence, the Assyrians, you know. And as we look down through the line of Canaan, Canaan builds cities. Canaan builds empires. And this is an intentional contrast because they want you to see chapter 12 is coming, and that's the story of Abraham. And Abraham comes through the line of Shem. And so, uh, you know, Canaan builds cities. Abraham builds altars. And so the, the difference in these two outlooks on what we're about, you know, as we live our lives as humans. Now, let's let's... I want you to enjoy a genealogy and see the things that are in them. Stay tuned. This genealogy, if you just take a step back from it and look at it, chapter 10, the genealogy should have read, this is the line of Shem, and it lays it all out, and then it should have said, and this is the line of Ham, and it lays out all his descendants, and then finally, this is the line of Japheth, and then all of those descendants. But if you'll notice, that is not what happens. Uh, This is a theological telling. It's not a history book. And it is a thematic. These next three chapters are thematically organized because you're going to notice that the genealogy is both interrupted and that it's taken out of chronology because what really happens is you get you get down through the line of all three of these men and then there's a moment and, they, and you come back to the story of the Tower of Babel. Uh, and so the way this thing's laid out, let me try to simplify it. It's a, it starts with the genealogy, then it interrupts it, it throws in the Tower of Babel, and then it jumps back into the end of Shem's genealogy. Why? They're trying to get to Abraham. And the whole point is to take this story now to Abraham because his family story is going to drive the rest of the book of Genesis, actually the rest of the Old Testament, for that matter. Now, there's, a, there's something, theolo- it's spiritually important and it's theologically very significant, this chapter. This chapter is called the Table of the Nations. And you will notice, if you count them, that there are 70 nations with the building of the with these three sons, there's a building and a scattering of seventy nations, and seventy represents all the nations. It's a symbolic number. 
all the nations are now represented. These are all the nations of the earth till this day. We know there's more than 70 different political entities. These are about people groups and about their languages. And this is the root stock from which all the earth's people have arisen. Now you're going to notice something. One, 70 symbolic. This is all the nations. Are there literally, were there literally 70 or not? I don't know. Let's assume there were 70, but it's still a symbolic number. And it, it means all the nations. They all come out of these three men. So there aren't any humans that aren't related. There aren't any humans that don't come from Noah. And so something you'll notice is Israel is not listed in the 70 nations. And that's, that's where I'd like to take you now because it's a very interesting omission. When you get down, let's look down in verse 25. We get to the line of Shem. We're in Shem's line, and it says that he had a descendant named Eber. And Eber is where you get the Ebrews, the Ebrew people. So we're moving now toward Abraham's family. But we're not there yet in the genealogy. And it says, verse 25, To Eber were born, Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, divided. For in his day, the earth was divided. That's a really important commentary there. You know, are we talking about uh, Pangea breaking apart? Well, that's more likely in the creation or in the ark story. Um, it would have been cataclysmic, but it could have been managed by the creator. The earth was divided. Well, we have a story about division of the earth coming up in the very next chapter. And so in Peleg's generation, we're told, this is when the earth was divided. And so chapter 11 of Genesis is the story of the Tower of Babel. It's going to be about the division of humans, division into languages and division into places. But this same story is passed out in different places in the scripture. And this is a, there's a thing called a decentralized story. Okay. Most of the Bible stories, like let's take uh the rape of Dinah. That's just one that came in my mind. There's a story that comes up among the sons of Abra, of uh, Jacob, and it's just a story. But my point is, it's a centralized story. Once you run into it in the narrative, it, it just keeps going and then it's finished. It's one block of story. But there are other stories in the Bible, and it's these stories are the ones I've been keying on the whole time in season four of Thread, and these are called decentralized stories. For example, when you see giants the very first time, it's not just, oh, wow, some humans are taller than others. No, it's linked to a spiritual kind of giant, someone bigger, more forceful, more powerful than they ought to be. There's a darkness around them. Well, once, like say Genesis 6, once you get this story of, of the giants, then it starts to show up in other places. It just You just get like, again, one verse, one mention, one little reference to it. But as you go, if you see that Scripture has been given by God, if you believe that about the Bible, then you need to follow these 
these threads because they come together in the end, and it's very profound, and it's, it's really amazing. It's like, how can this happen over hundreds of years and so many different writers with different outlook, and yet when you bind the whole Bible together, you have this message from the Lord. So we're talking about the division of the earth, the division of humans. And I want to take you to um, the end of Deuteronomy. And this is the, you know, the end of the books of, of Moses. So as we get through, you know, this is the very first of the section of uh, the books of Moses. We're going to get to the end of it. And in the end of Moses' life, just before he dies, the Lord says, you're coming to me. I'm going to take you home. But I have one more job for you to do. And, you know, so Moses, sure, what, what do you want me to do, Lord? And the Lord says, I want you to write a song. It's like, wow, that would be a really hard thing for him to give me. But it, it was a necessary song. This song is their theology put to music. It tells the story of the people of Israel. And it, it also tells the story of why they're going to end up in Babylon one day because there are things happening in Israel already that are going to bear fruit later. And there's a hardness in their heart. This whole, you know, line of, line of Cain idea, this thing is, is we're going to keep finding weeds among the wheat. But I'm, I'm back on the idea of the division. So God has told Moses, write me a song, and this is what the song has to say. So if you've got your Bible, this is really important. I've, ne- I've never heard anybody teach this in a church. I've only gotten into it in the last couple of years from a handful of, of scholars, and I think it's, got a, it's a really interesting angle. Uh, so here's Deuteronomy 32. This is Moses, and he is talking about how Israel became a nation, how they became a people, okay? Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father. He will show you. Ask your elders. They will tell you. Verse 8, Deuteronomy 32, 8. When the Most High divided their inheritance to the nation. We're talking about the earth being divided. Okay. And now I'm going to read from the oldest manuscripts, this next section. When he separated the sons of Adam... He set boundaries of the peoples, and that word peoples is like the word nations. It doesn't mean political nations. It's a, you know, it's you, your culture, your language. He separated, the Most High divided their inheritance to the nations. He separated the sons of Adam. He set boundaries of the people according to the number of the sons of God. More... Recent translations stumble over that, and they say children of Israel. Well, I can tell you already, the number of the children of Israel is zero. On the day when the Bible records the world being separated and divided, it's the Tower of Babel story. There are no children of Israel. Abraham is not alive. There is no Jewish nation. So to change the ending to read that way doesn't even make any sense. We're talking about, and then if you read the next one, it said, but the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the place of his inheritance. There is a division coming at the end of the story 
of the Tower of Babel, there is a division of the earth and nations, people groups, are going to be separated and they're going to be allotted to somebody. And the Lord himself is going to choose a different group. I mean, this is all the peoples of the world. They've all been chosen. They've all been passed out. And now God is going to choose one man. We'll see in chapter 12 of Genesis. He's going to choose one Babylonian man. And with him, he's going to make a new nation. So the earth's nations are already set. Israel is not listed in the earth's nations. But Abraham, by himself, becomes a nation under God. Well, who are the people uh, of the earth? Who are the nations of the earth apportioned to? Well, this is where some very interesting other Bible passages come from. Let's go to Psalms 82. This is the psalm that Jesus quotes that, again, you'll hardly ever hear used in church. It's the passage where he says, ye are gods. Um, Okay. Psalms 82. God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. And this is what he says to them. And that word for gods is Elohim. So these are, as if you go back to the, our earlier teachings about the, the counsel of God. He's never seen as alone. He has heavenly sons. They are not, they are not God in the way that he is God. They are not God in the way God the Son is God. But they are Elohim. They are supernatural created, supernatural beings that are throughout the Bible. They go at his command, but they are also free will beings, and they violated in Genesis 6 uh, his commands to stay away from the humans. And after that, there is a rebellion of some sort. The Nakash is somehow connected to them. And we end up with spiritual darkness in uh, Daniel. Daniel's The angel that comes to Daniel complains about the battles he's having with other supernatural entities. So, I mean, don't be afraid of this word. It It, it is the normal Old Testament word for non-humans. These are people whose being was created by God, but they are in another realm and another world than we are. But Psalms 82 is about them. It says, God is judging among the Elohim. And this is what he says to them. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked, defend the poor and fatherless, do justice to the afflicted and needy, deliver the poor and needy, free them from the hand of the wicked. They do not know. They do not understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are unstable. And I said, this is Yahweh speaking, and I said, ye are Elohim, you are Elohim, you are God's. All of you, you are children of the Most High, but you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all nations. This, the problem with these scriptures and understanding them easily is that it's a, um, a decentralized story. We have the passages to put together 
a logical framework for our world, that there is a visible world, we're all parts of that, and ration, you know, the whole rational world that we're living in now as far as the, the human society, they want to disbelieve in the invisible spiritual realm, but, you know, Soviets were even doing experiments back in the 70s about paranormal things. So there's a thing going on in this world that it appears to be intelligent, behind the scenes, too well organized. And so we start looking, you know, for all these uh, conspiracy theories, but it goes bigger than human conspiracies. And these two scriptures, if you just read them back to back, uh, Deuteronomy 32 and then Psalms uh, Psalms 82, you know, Deuteronomy 32 is talking about when the world was separated, when all the nations of the world were passed out, Yahweh kept Israel as his own. Psalms 82, it is Yahweh passing judgment on all the other Elohim who have inherited these nations. This story is missing. I, I, I wish we had the details, but the court drama of Yahweh addressing them, it isn't missing. It's Psalms 82. And he said he finds them guilty of misleading their nations and of leaving these people in spiritual blindness instead of bringing them toward him. And so now you find a people that are doing every wrong thing and their whole nation's track is toward evil. And Yahweh says to them, I said you were Elohim. I I made you. I made you to be these sons of light. But, and then he threatens them with death. You will die like men. And it's a death sentence pronounced on these uh, demonic powers that are in revolt against him. Now, Paul picks this up, and he is one of the most educated men in the ancient world, and he is not at all afraid of this topic. He says in Romans 8.38, I am persuaded neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities um, nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. And uh, you know, over and over again he writes in uh, Ephesians chapter 3 about principalities Chapter 6, verse 12, he talks about we wrestle not with flesh and blood. We are wrestling with the principalities. Uh, Colossians 1.16, he says the principalities were created by God. They were created by Christ, he even says, and they were put in their place. And so this whole idea about the spiritual battle in the darkness and the battle that we have to deal with right now, and the reason that Jesus came casting out demons, and the reason that he chose how many preachers. He sent out 70, it said, and he sent them to Gentile regions. Why did he choose 70? Because of the 70 nations mentioned in the book of Genesis. So, you know, these men are chosen. They are a reflection of all the the perfected number of missionaries that he will ever send out to reach all the nations of the world, but that our battles will never, this will never be a peacetime undertaking. We are fighting a spiritual battle. It began again after the great flood when the earth was scrubbed clean of human rebellion, and it didn't take any time 
before one of the three sons of Noah that were left alive was already leaning himself toward the darkness again. And so now we find ourselves with a scattered world, many nations, many languages, but all of them having one thing in common. There is spiritual darkness motivating every nation of the world. There is spiritual darkness in high places. There is spiritual darkness in the legal system, in the education system, in the media system, in the banking system, in governments, in the military arm. There is darkness, and this is intelligent darkness. And these doctrines find their root in this table of nations. And so as you, as you work your way back and you understand the principalities and powers belief that is just sort of a normal part, although it isn't talked about that much, in New Testament Christianity, it is there. It's, it is, they did talk about it, and they sang about it, and they worked against it. It's just our, our modern hesitation about anything that's supernatural. I mean, there are churches that if you, if, if you have a supernatural word from God, they'll want to push you out the door. Even you want to pray for somebody. They want to, oh, we don't do that here. Why not? You're, you're in the Lord's side. Chapter 10 of Genesis. These are the families of the sons of Noah after their generations in their nations. And from them, the nations separated across the earth after the flood. And that is going to be in our next episode. We're going to zoom in to the story that caused the separation, the story of the building of the Tower of Babel. We are in a spiritually charged world. It's not just humans trying to influence other humans. There are spiritual forces at work here. And they are at work in all of our nations. And these days, I don't even think it's hard to see and acknowledge that if you just open your eyes and watch the, um, the waves of humans crashing, the people moving and churning, so much anger, so much hatred, so much, you know, we're back in the age of trafficking and slavery bigger than it ever was. And it's just a dark time, but it's a spiritually dark time. And thank God we do have the book of Revelation which tells us about the birth pains and then the birth that comes on the other side. So you're going to have to keep following these threads. These lines from God are going to lead us to understand Him and understand His Word. So when you see something you think you've seen before, make a red mark and start following it in Scripture. Well, that's all for now. Expect God to use you, my friend, because you light of the world.